So 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm just going to read the last uh, few verses. I'll start in verse 11. So 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And I'll pray before I continue with this. Father, again, we, as we look to your word, um, thankful for it, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to view it rightly, to take it in its context, Lord, to, to understand uh, what you would have us to, to gain and to learn from these passages, Lord. So again, we just ask for your, your hand in this, uh, that you would guide my thoughts this morning um, and the words that come out of my mouth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going over this issue of salvation and, and what things are required for a person to be saved. And Scripture is pretty clear that the only thing required to be saved is that we believe the gospel. Um, the gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for our sin. And so, as we looked at that, I'm just kind of back and forth on this issue of the change in us because of that faith, whether or not that's actually proof that we're saved, which the implication is that those changes must take place if we actually were saved. Um, and I'm just pointing out that it tells us over and over again that we should be all these things. But it never once says that that is necessarily going to be the case in every case. And we're not to judge another person's salvation based on what we see on the outward appearance. Um, and yet, here we are. I read this passage on purpose. It says that we're to judge. And so we're going to kind of move forward with this this morning on the, a continuation of where do we go from, from where I, we've been looking at. Um, it's kind of torn back and forth whether or not to, to bring it up. And here I am, I'm bringing it up, so I guess that's, that's my answer. <laughs> um, just a text of a picture of the MacArthur Study Bible. And MacArthur's statement on that, on, on salvation, there's, I'm sure there's more to his statements on salvation in there than, than just that. But one, he, he had a list, I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on it, but he had a list of things that Christians do that are good things for Christians to do that don't necessarily show whether a person is saved or not. But then he added a list of things that he says are, are proof of salvation. And I don't know what the intent of the, the information to me was, whether it's correcting me or just, here, here's what MacArthur says. 
just for, for food for thought. But um, his next list, he says, is proof of salvation. Um, but my point is that those things are also just what we should be, not necessarily proof. Because um, we can be saved without those things. Um, here's a challenge for you. I, I, I've been doing this, right? I ask a hard question. <laughs> Do you have to love God to be saved? Don't answer aloud. (laughs) Do you have to love God to be saved? So that was one of his list of of musts. What does the Bible say? does Does it ever say to be saved, you must love God? You'll never find that, will you? Nowhere in Scripture does it say, to be saved, you must love God. Hmm, you must believe God. What does Jesus say when he's asked about the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Think a little bit about that, though. Is that the greatest commandment? The law. So to love God is obedience to the law. That would be law-keeping. That would be works for salvation. Loving God isn't how we get saved. Now, I don't know how you could get saved and not love God. That's a, that's a difficult thing. <laughs> but, but that's a different conversation, isn't it? Loving God isn't a requirement of salvation. It should be a result of it. <laughs> so I'm just... It's a, it's a nitpicky detail that I'm working with here. But these are, this is what should be the result of our salvation. It's not necessarily even evidence of it. And it's not what we can look to and verify somebody's faith, whether it was true faith or not true faith. Because there's circumstances in people's lives that affect how those things work out. The one I, I liked, I don't like MacArthur, he's right. Like he's a good, good teacher, good preacher in many things, but I don't like him. <laughs> don't, it just irritates me. <laughs> it's just a personality thing. But so I, I like to, I, I can nitpick at something of his, and it's just like it gives me a good feeling. <laughs> One of his things in there was humility, and I had to say to my my dad, this is. You know, somebody that has their name on the front of a study Bible, I don't think is demonstrating very much humility. And so, by his own standard, I don't think he's saved. Because <laughs> he's not showing the proof of it in his life. That was one of his things, was proofs. So, you know, that's just... Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll move on to my, what I'm actually teaching today. <laughs> anyway, I just like... I, I just. The, the scriptures that he uses to, to verify those things that he said are proof are certainly things that we should be as Christians, but not a single one of them. Actually, sorry, with the exception of one of them. I looked up all the verses. Only one of them was in regards to salvation. So it's, it's what we should be. And that's where I want to start going is to what we should be once we're saved. Uh, and there's a couple of different directions i got to go here as we get there. But this passage that I just read, 
is one of those. And this is kind of where you've all been. <laughs> Not all. Is we're to judge. Um, but I'll just point out one more time. This list of sins that he described here in um, verse 11. A fornicator, covetous, an idolater, a railer, a drunkard, an extortioner. But it, he said, if any man that is called a brother be one of those things. And I'll just encourage you to look over to me, it's just all over the page on chapter 6. And we've looked at this already, but just to, to bring this fresh to your memory. Um, verse 9 in chapter 6 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know that in my in the King James Version, when you compare these two passages, all but one of the things that we call, if one is a brother does these things, all but one of them is in that other list of those that do these won't inherit the kingdom of God. What do I conclude from that? <laughs> I have to think a little bit, don't we? If, if one is called a brother and does these things, and yet the next, like, ten verses later, we're, we're seeing that those that do such things don't inherit the kingdom of God. Our flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God because in our flesh we are still those things. When I'm reborn, I am a new creature. The flesh didn't change, but my spirit did. My spirit was reborn. And that is what inherits the kingdom of God. It's the only way I can see this and make the Bible make sense. And we'll look just a little closer at that um, in just a second here. Verse 12 in chapter 5 regarding judgment. It says, For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? Do not ye judge them that are within? And verse 13 says, But them that are without... God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So, they're, they're being told to put away. Don't sit and eat with that wicked person that is a brother. There's some judgment that we need to do as a church when we're looking at each other and we see somebody in here that's displaying this life of sin. Stop fellowshipping with them and stop pretending like it's okay to call yourself a Christian and live like this. We need to do something. We need to separate ourselves from that person 
to show them, to teach them that this isn't okay. David, do you want to get a comment? said, you know that you look and by that you do his commandments. Right? So in Hebrews, or I should say in James, um, chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That's an information that if you don't love him, you won't get a crown of life. That's right. But is that salvation? Right? It's a different thing than salvation itself. I believe that is salvation. I wouldn't say that. If you don't have the power of life, you don't have life. If you don't have life, you don't have salvation. So I think when you were searching, if you're if you're looking for a specific word where it includes the word salvation with um, whether you love the Lord or not, I think I think there's the, the crown of life wouldn't fit that. So. You're right, you're not going to get a crown of life. But let's look here. Let's look at the scripture and see what direction it takes us and see what happens in this. Um, I'll continue with, with where I'm going here. Verse 13 tells us that God judges those that are without. God is going to judge the lost. The memory verse I gave in, in John 3, 36, points to that, that they are under God's wrath. If you're not believing in Christ, if you're not having your faith in Christ, the wrath of God abides on you. There's a judgment for that. But the saved, those who have believed the gospel, he's telling us, so we don't, and this is a, this is the hard part. Like um, Doug and like I'm not opposed to what you're you're involved in in the slightest. But are we as Christians? Is our mandate to reform the world? If we're if our mandate was to reform the lost world, we'd basically be telling them that salvation is by works, <laughs> and we can't expect the lost world to conform to our Christian standards. And so there's, there's that, but does that mean that we should lay down and let them just roll over everything with wickedness? Well, no, we don't do that either. And so there's a, there's a balance point where some of us need to stand up against tyrants and against wicked people, um, especially when it comes to dealing with children and things like that. And so, so there's a right thing there. But we realize that we don't judge the lost world. We judge the saved. Our job is to judge within the church primarily. And that's what this is telling us. Therefore, so God judges those without. You judge those that are within. Therefore, put them away from among you. You have to do some judgment because of these sinful believers. <laughs> we were, so in, in that, I, I mentioned there is, a, there is a judgment of the, the saved, 1 Corinthians 3, 
talks about it. Second Corinthians six, I believe, makes mention of the the judgment seat of Christ, um, where the the saved are judged according to their works. But it's not so much uh, a judgment of what you didn't do. It's a judgment, and you read 1 Corinthians 3, the description is what you did do and did it amount to anything of any value to be rewarded for with such things like a crown of life. And so, will you have a crown to throw at Jesus' feet when we arrive there is the question. And so, remember Romans 8, says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. There is not a judgment. We're, we're not going to be condemned by God for our sin. We're not going to be rewarded either. And so there's a, we need to differentiate between these things. Um, I'm going to go back over to the beginning of chapter 5 here, and I just want to look at the detail, because there's a good example here that we can use. Uh, I'll read the, the first seven verses here just to, to give us the picture. It says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, in this... We see uh, an example, the most outrageous example you could probably come up with, of a person actively living in sin, and it's known in the church, and it says you're puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. They're welcoming the person in this sin into the church fellowship, and they're, they're proud. Like they're, it says they're puffed up. They're not, there's no sorrow. There's no, no acknowledgement of this sin whatsoever that the person ought not to be doing this thing. It's like they are doing what the accusation often is that, well, if there's no condemnation, then I'm free to continue in sin, right? <laughs> that grace may abound. It's like they took it literally. But that's, Obviously not the intention of any of this. Um, but I want to point out to you, verse 5 here, 
You remember the list that we just read in our opening verses and the list that matches it in chapter 6 that of those that don't inherit the kingdom of God? Read verse 5 in chapter 5. It says, To deliver such an one unto Satan to go to spend eternity in hell? It's not what it says. For the destruction of the flesh. They lost their salvation? No. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This lost person, sorry, this saved person, who is buried in wicked sin, is still recognized in Scripture as saved, and their soul is still secure in Christ. Even though they're doing things that lost people wouldn't even consider doing. It's not about the changed life. <laughs> it's just not. Not as proof that we're saved. Now, what should we be? Well, he doesn't allow it, does he? He doesn't allow for this to exist in the church. Because this ought not to exist in the church. You're, you're smearing the name of Christ in front of the world if you're doing that. And so he's telling them, you must judge. So concerning judgment, these people aren't doing what they're supposed to do as a church. They're allowing sin. And Paul is telling them, it's your job to judge within the church. You need to look at the situation. You need to look at the person's life. You're not determining whether they're saved or not. You're saying, if you're going to call yourself a brother, then you better stop living like this. And we're going to send you outside of the church. What is that? I, I can't give a full answer. What is, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Well, I don't really know exactly how you do that. Aside from what he describes here is you just stop fellowship. It's like, no, you can't. You're not welcome in our church anymore until this stops. We can't, we're not going to pretend that this is okay. We're not coming over for dinner. You're not coming over to my place for dinner. When you need help, your host is falling apart. You're not going to get the work crew from the church to show up and help build your homes. And put the roof on and right we're just not going to be there as the family that we that James tells us we ought to be for each other I'm going to stop doing that we are going to stop doing that because you're living a life that's a disgrace to Christ and so until that stops so are we and so that's the only way I can see we turn him over to Satan. It's like, here's Satan. Like, I don't have power to do that. Right? So we just, like, we stop the fellowship, and now Satan has access to that person without the security that we get from 
the fellowship together. And so they're just, and it says for the destruction of the flesh, that person's life is going to fall apart when we stop holding them up, <laughs> right? We need to stop holding them up and fixing all their problems because God is trying to do something in that person's life to reach them, to change them. And if we interfere with that, we're interfering with what God is doing. So we need to get out of the way. A good example of this would be, it's interesting, you, look at, you want to look at an example, it's Job. Job, you read the whole book of Job. Job isn't even in sin. <laughs> but this is kind of, like it shows what this might look like. There's that conversation between God and Satan over Job, and God turns him over and says, okay, you can do whatever you want with him up to this point. <laughs> right? God puts a limit, but God's the one that gets to determine what that limit is. And so, so Satan does get a little bit of liberty in affecting people's lives. And God can use Satan to work in us to turn us back to God. Man, that must frustrate him. <laughs> All right. So, I've probably already said this, but what, so, the church is to judge. We've, Judith, you mentioned that last week or whenever it was. Yes, we are to judge. And, of course, um, Paul says in verse 3 here, he says, I've judged already. <laughs> like I've heard about it I'm not even there I've judged <laughs> I know what needs to be done and I know that this is wrong we're allowed to judge one another we're allowed to look at each other's lives as a church and we're allowed to point out the flaws that are in each other's lives that's a part of being a church part of being um, God's family somebody's going to say judge not lest you be judged Right? <laughs> That's Matthew 7. Let's just, we'll, we'll look at Matthew 7 just to see it. Might as well turn to the, the main objection that people would have. Matthew 7 starts off in verse 1, says, Judge not that you be not judged. It's not the end of the conversation, though. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, that's this tiny speck, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. So this statement of judge not, be not judged, is like, well, it's just a pause for a moment before you start pointing your finger. Because there's stuff in your life that isn't what it ought to be either. So when we are busy looking at each other, looking at everybody else's problems, we have a tendency to not look back in our own home, in our own life, and see the problems that exist there, which are often worse than what we see in other people's lives. 
That's exactly what he's saying here. So before you start casting judgment on somebody else, look at yourself. Are you what you ought to be? And are you able? His point is like, if you got a beam, this giant thing sticking out of your face, how are you fit to help do this delicate maneuver of pulling this little sliver that's touching somebody else's eye? You can't even see right. <laughs> You have no depth perception because this thing's blocking it. <laughs> we have a problem. And if your problem is such that you're hindered from being able to actually be a legitimate help to a person, well, it's useless. We need to fix here first before I can come to you and say, hey, you've got a problem. <laughs> Let me help you. Um, so what is it? look like um, well first before I get there this so this judge not thing if you look in first Corinthians 6 hope you didn't lose your spot he's the, this the whole context of what we're looking at here is about this judgment thing but verse um, verse 2 in chapter 6 says do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Now, you have to understand a little bit of your end times doctrines to understand the context of we're going to judge the world. We're not doing that until we are in a perfected state. (laughs) We're not doing that the way we are today because we're not fit to do that today. But after we're resurrected and perfected, once we've been with Christ and we will be like him, when he returns, we're going to be with him performing some of that judgment on the world. And so... So there's some things, some context with this to understand, but, but we are going to be judging, and it says you're even going to be judging angels. Do you feel fit for that right now? <laughs> I hope not. Um, we have a job to do. It is to judge. So what does it look like for us to judge? If you go back to verse 4, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, and my spirit, that's Paul, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to do this thing together. <laughs> we're going to, to talk this out as a church family. We're going to get to the bottom of this thing, and we're going to deal with it together. We do this not secretly, not to shame anybody, kind of to shame them, but, but not, not in that way, right? It's like, no, we're doing this together. Um, and there's a reason why we do it together. Um, I just want to look at just a couple of other verses that talk about this topic of, of how we 
deal with sin, how we approach people in this. Um, I think my order makes sense. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that's exactly what we're talking about, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Bear ye one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so, ye which are spiritual, <laughs> do it in the spirit of meekness. I don't know who that is. Because <laughs> as soon as you stand up to say, I'm the spiritual one that can do this, you're no longer doing it in meekness. <laughs> There's a level of pride involved here. So it's a very, a very touchy, very careful, very cautious thing that we're going to do. We shouldn't be overly bold in approaching somebody over their sin. We need to do it very cautiously, I think is, is what we see there. Matthew 18, Jesus actually gives us some instruction. Verse 15. So Matthew 18, starting verse 15, says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, Thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Um, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. So here's what Paul's saying, right? He's basically restating this, that if someone has a fault out here, and this was kind of like a, there's a personal issue, and so we're going to go talk about it personally. And if we can't get anywhere with that one-on-one, -on -one, now I'm going to bring a couple of other people to, like, no, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what you're doing. You need to fix this. So we're going to do that, and when they still don't respond, we're going to bring this to the church and say, hey, We've tried to deal with this. And this is where we get to in 1 Corinthians 5, is that it's too late, right? It's like, we can't do the one-on-one -on -one thing anymore. This is just a public disgrace. We're going to deal with it publicly. So he just kind of jumped to the, to the final step in 1 Corinthians 5. But there are steps to get to there, yeah? I've heard that explained In this Matthew 18? Yeah. That the part about say, treating them as a Gentile or a tax collector is as if they were never saved. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I would say yes and no to that. In we're we're teaching them or we're treating them. We're, yeah, we are. We're basically treating them like a lost person. When we when in 
1 Corinthians 5, says, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Looks well, like he's no longer part of the church. He's no longer a part of our fellowship. We're no longer providing any assistance and help and, and fellowship with that person. We are treating them like a lost person. But, not, but we see that they're not a lost person. We're just treating them that way to turn their heart back towards God. And so Paul, I didn't really dig into it. When Paul in 2 Corinthians is like, um, he's repented, <laughs> let him come back. <laughs> when the person changes, when the result is there, you, you restore that person back in. Did you have? Yeah, it was, there's a passage in 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter 3, where it's talking about idleness, but it says, um, have the, um, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. We have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed, but do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. There you go. That's exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the point, is that, that they may be ashamed. So there should be, for a saved person, shame involved with a sinful life, right? There should be sorrow over sin. There needs to be sorrow over sin. But if we, like I was almost accused a few weeks ago of embracing, you know, whatever the sin is, whether, you know, the LGBTQ crowd, if we embrace it, I said they could be saved and live that way. That doesn't mean as a church we embrace them and welcome them and say, hey, it's, it's not good to have you. And they claim to be a Christian. It's good to have them if they're not proclaiming to be saved. Like, okay, yeah, come in and hear the gospel. But if they're claiming to be saved, we don't ignore the fact that you're living in sin. You do, you're living a life that's opposed to Scripture. Okay, we don't ignore that, right? So we, that they may be ashamed, but you, not as an enemy, so you kind of treat them like the lost person, but not as an enemy. You're doing it as a brother that you may restore them, that you may win them back to a right relationship. I think that, that makes sense. It's, um, I'll just try to finish up here so we can get going. Um, so my question was, what happens? Verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Um, deliver unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. We do what he kind of says later in the chapter. You don't, don't eat with them and you put them out of the church and you just you stop fellowshipping. That's how you do that. If we just look, we'll close with uh, Romans 6 here. Romans 6, uh, verse 11, starts off, says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments 
of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because you're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. <laughs> don't. It says, don't yield yourselves to sin. And when somebody is doing that, as a church, we together, as a body, we discipline, right? Like we, we say, like, we don't accept that as a part of what we do here. I think we have been guilty of this. This church has grown and changed, right? So when I say we here have, have been guilty of this, I'm not necessarily talking to anybody specific here anymore, but I've, there's been couples living together that attended this church and not a person ever said anything to them. Well, that I know of. <laughs> we as a church didn't do anything to say, hey, if you guys are going to be a part of this church and an active member of the church, you either need to get married or find separate houses, right? These are things that that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> we're just so scared of stepping on anybody's toes that we don't do it properly. Um, we're supposed to step on each other's toes. When we're supposed to call out what, what each other is doing, that it doesn't line up with what Scripture tells us. Not because the person is not saved and you need to do this to be saved. It's like, no, now that you're saved... You ought to do this. <laughs> this is what we're supposed to do. And so we, we are to help each other to that end. And so some of that is tough love, right? Like we have to be unkind at times to get a person to respond in those things. Hopefully that's a, a good start for this. We'll, we'll keep going later. <laughs>